Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Well, good morning to you, and it's great to be here to share with you today. We're going to be looking at uh, the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 33, and we'll get to that in just a second. But I want to ask you, have you thought lately about what does it take to leave a legacy? What does it take to do that? You know, the last few weekends, we've been uh, looking at a piece of pottery. It's actually this same piece. Uh, it's, this one's been uh, painted and, and um, fired, I think is what they call it. I call it baked, but anyway. And um, the last few weekends, we looked at this, and we discovered that we're unique um, in the book of Jeremiah, that all of us are made unique, and that we all have struggles. None of, there's nothing perfect about this. There's imperfections everywhere. And that in spite of uh, everything else around us, we can still be a blessing. Uh, it's never a situation where we can't uh, bloom where we're planted, where we can't make an impact where we live, work, and play. And today we're going to talk about how is it that we leave a legacy. It's doing some reading about pottery. You know, this jar or jars like it, this was a profound uh, and revolutionary invention when it came about. Did you know that? Before pottery, uh, people had to collect and use supplies on a daily basis, like even water or oil or grain, anything that people wanted, you, all you could do is just what you could carry in your hands. There was not a way to, to or effective way to carry things like this. And so, uh, pottery really became something that changed and helped people be civilized. In fact, some of the first uses were they could fill it and actually barter and sell things because they could have a container that would hold it and they could use it that way. And every uh, jar, no matter what it's like, has characteristics, and all of them are useful, especially early on, very useful in the things that they would do, but they weren't just useful because every piece of pottery is also handmade. And there are no two exactly the same. And so, in many parts of the world, the pottery is very expensive and, and very treasured because every single piece is unique and a piece of art. And so, pottery has this characteristic of being very useful, had a transformational impact on society and the world and history, and very beautiful. It's a piece of art. And in the same way, I think that's what it takes to create a legacy, to be useful, and to be beautiful. In the section that we're going to read today, Jeremiah is emphasizing a faith that's passed from generation to generation. What does it take to have a faith that passes from one generation to the next? Historically, Jeremiah witnessed something. He, it, there was a time in history when he lived that one of the kings named Josiah had a, a reformation, a reform. He brought the people back to God. They had, had veered away and wandered from their relationship with God, and Josiah as king uh, inspired them to, to have a, what we would call a revival. 
And, and Jeremiah witnessed that. A generation later, Jer Josiah's son, Jehoiakim, uh, became the king, and Jeho Jehoiakim actually disregarded the same things that caused the revival for Josiah. So you have a father that has a revival named for him, and a son who is almost in no way affected by it. And Jeremiah saw this. Charles Williams said this, there is no other institution that suffers from time so much as the church. The whole labor of regenerating mankind has to begin again every 30 years or so because it is so hard for one generation to pass faith to the next. It's so difficult and challenging for us to leave a legacy that moves to the next generation. Jeremiah was witnessing that, and God knew that that was a reality. Chapters 30 through 33 of Jeremiah that he wrote are filled with hope in a new covenant. So God's original covenant with Abraham was being renewed and, and prophesying and predicting that Jesus would fulfill what, Abraham, what had been promised to Abraham. The promise that God made to Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus. Jeremiah 33, we're going to read verses 14 to 18, and I'm going to read it out loud. You can follow along with us. Jeremiah 33, 14 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. Now, I know the language and everything can be a little confusing, but over the next few minutes, we're going to unpack it and see what... What is, most of this is God speaking. What is he alluding to? Where is he pointing to it? How is it that we create a legacy? Uh, this, this phrase at the beginning on verse, I think it's 14, that says the days are coming. Go back to, yeah, the days are coming. This is, this is actually like God's way to acknowledge the future is coming at us fast. And the future is sure. I don't know if you know it or not, but tomorrow's coming whether you want it to or not right? And so is next year, and so is next week. The future is coming. And the question is, what are we doing to prepare for it? What are we doing to leave a legacy for that future? Sometimes I think we just say, well, let's just use the simplest thing possible. We, I mean, I'll just, I mean, I can use a, two cans and a string. Maybe that'll work. Maybe that's all I need in order to pass a legacy on to others, to the next generation. Well, God knew it takes more than that. And God prepares for the future by issuing this new covenant, a new covenant that he's going to make. And he promises a king in this passage. He promises a king, the throne of David, and he promises priests, Levites, who will endure. You see, God prepared for the future by ensuring that there would be a David and a Levi. 
And we, in turn, prepare for the future by being a David and a Levi. And that is the way we get to leave a legacy. And I think it's time for us to get ahead of what we want to leave behind. The time is now. How are we going to take steps today to help us be ahead of what we want to leave behind? A few years ago, dating myself here, but some years ago, there was a Michael Jordan commercial. I think it was with Gatorade. Uh, and he was doing all his typical basketball stuff. And there was a song that went along with it that said, be like Mike. Be like Mike is what it said. Well, I like Michael Jordan, great basketball player and all that stuff. But today, uh, we're going to aim, aim a little higher than Mike. Uh, we're going to say, okay, what does it take to be like David? And what does it take to be like Levi? Because if God knew that in order to leave a legacy, he wanted to establish David and he wanted to make sure he ensured there were Levi's. And if we can be like David and we can be like Levi, the chances are we're going to leave a legacy as well. Well, one of the ways that we can be sure we're leaving a legacy is to be like David. Let's look again at verse 15, and here's what it said. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. This term righteous branch and then to, to spring up for David, that's actually, actually an allusion to Jesus. He's the, the branch who's going to spring up is Jesus. And in turn, those of us who follow Jesus are in that same line. That's how we become the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, and that's how we become the, the fulfillment of the promise that's fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the righteous branch of David, and we follow in that. And so what does it mean for us to be like David? What it means is that we give our hearts to God to pursue the heart of God. David is described as one who pursued the heart of God, who, who chased after the heart of God. What does it mean to be like David? It means to be his woman and be his man, God's man, God's woman. That's what it means. You know, it's not that David was so great when he was king. No, 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 no. What's unique about David, he was not perfect. He was uh, quite imperfect, actually. But his heart was knit to God. And when David was king, David wasn't in charge. God was in charge. It's unique to him. or I mean, Maybe not unique, but special about him. And it should be the same way with us. When we totally surrender to Jesus, we give our all to him, we're being like David. So how do we leave a legacy? We give ourselves fully to God through Jesus Christ. Giving everything we have, total surrender to him. That's the way David lived with God, and that's the way we should live as well. Sometimes I think we, we take this for granted, or we think it's just... It's just a lighthearted thing, and it's not. We, in our culture today, we just desire ease and speed. Everything is like, how quickly can we do it? I want it easy and fast. I want, I want instant. I want the shortcut. I want results. And can I get it right now? Everything has to happen. And you know, you know what it is? We really want an Amazon Prime relationship with God. 
Like I want to browse today. Ah, I want this and this and this and this. I want to hit yes and I want it delivered tomorrow. When I walk out of the house tomorrow, I'm a brand new person. It doesn't work that way. Let me remind you what it takes to follow Jesus. You're pursuing the heart of God with everything you have. It's, it's total surrender. It's total commitment. I love the way Eugene Peterson says it. He has a book titled by this. He calls it a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. This is what it takes to follow Jesus. It means giving my life to something and setting my direction and saying, I'm never deviating. I'm never changing. This is the way I'm going. And the mood of our world does so much to discourage this. It's so uh, unusual for people to say, yeah, this is the way I'm going to go, and this is the way I'm always going to go. And there are two biblical designations or terms that help us understand this. One is the term disciple. A disciple is someone who is apprenticed to Jesus. It's someone who says, he is He's my mentor. I'm, I'm apprentice. I'm, I'm learning from him. It's a growing and learning relationship. Not like the schoolroom, but like the work site of a craftsman. And not acquiring information, but skills in faith. Like, how do I learn to walk like Jesus? That's what it means to be a disciple, to have this disciple making relationship with God, apprentice to him, apprentice to Jesus. A second term is the term pilgrim. And what does it mean to be a pilgrim? A pilgrim is a common term for followers of Jesus. It means that we're going someplace. We're, we're going to God. We're on a journey somewhere. And we're on, we're on the way to Jesus Christ. You know, pilgrims are on what I call the Jesus way. It's the way we live our lives. We're, everything is ruled by, by the way Jesus did things. How, how do we have relationships with people? How do we conduct ourselves in business? How do we conduct ourselves as students and, and husbands and wives and every other way? You know how? The Jesus way. And we are on the Jesus way. The early church was called the way. I love that because we're moving somewhere, becoming more like Jesus every day. But this long obedience in the same direction, this being on the Jesus way, it doesn't just happen incidentally. It doesn't happen accidentally. It has to be an incredible amount of intention and discipline and work to say, I'm on the Jesus way. And to make that commitment, somehow we have to have, we have, to have enough dissatisfaction with the way things are. We have to be kind of like fed up with the world's systems, not the world's people. We don't get fed up with people. We get fed up with the systems and the inconsistencies and the tragedies and the sufferings and and say the world's broken and I'm dissatisfied with it and I'm disgusted with the way things are. And do you know that that's when we're ready for Jesus? That's when we're ready is, you know, as long as our hope is in our next raise, if I could just get an next raise, all my problems will be solved. Or the next scientific discovery, if they'll discover something, it'll change aging or, or change the world. If, if we, we put our hope in the next scientific discovery to, to change the world, or maybe we put our hope in the next election to solve the social dilemmas that we're facing, as long as our hope in all those things, we're not ready for Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we don't put hope in any of those things. All our hope is in Jesus, and we have long obedience in the same direction. 
a long obedience in the same direction. A few days ago, I was doing something I don't do very often. I stopped at a fast food restaurant. I was in a hurry and I needed to eat. And so I, I went through the drive-thru and they asked me what I wanted and I told her what sandwich that I wanted. And I wasn't real familiar with the place. So this is the sandwich that I want. And she said back to me, uh, would you like a side of fries? And I'm at a fast food restaurant already. I said, sure, I'll take the side of fries. Sometimes I think that when we think about Jesus, we kind of, like we got the main course already. We're kind of doing our own thing already. And somebody's saying, hey, you want a side of fries with what's going on in your life? And we go, oh, yeah, I'll take a side of fries. I can go to church on Sunday morning. Or yeah, I can, I, I can participate in that one thing. It, it's, it's just, yeah, I'll take the side of fries. Can I remind you that Jesus is not a side of fries? He is not. When we come to Jesus, He is everything. He is only, it's only Him. In fact, here's the way I would say it. Jesus is not a side of fries. He is the entire Happy Meal. <laughs> French fries and the soft drink and everything. We don't come to Jesus like, yeah, I'll have a side of fries with that. That's not what it means. He's not an add-on. He is our singular pursuit. When we do that, when we give ourselves wholly to him, he begins to do something inside of us that we never dreamed possible, doesn't he? He begins to change us from the inside out, and all of a sudden, we start loving things and people that we never could love before. We start pursuing things that we never pursued before. You know what he's doing? He's making something amazingly beautiful out of us. When we wholly surrender to him, and that's when it happens that he's handcrafting who we are, making us to be exactly who he wants us to be. You want to leave a legacy? Give your heart wholly to Jesus. Give everything you have to him and commit to a long obedience in the same direction and be like David. Another way we make our legacy count is to be like Levi. Let's look at verse 18 and what it says there. And it says, The Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. Again, God is saying, the priests are going to last forever. Who are those priests? We are those priests. Jesus was the first to fulfill this prophecy, and then we are the ones who come behind him. And so what do priests do? What is the role of a priest in, in this day and age, very similar to today? A priest are ones who provide directions to God. They're helping show others the path. So as we fulfill this role, what, to be Levi, what does it take for us to be Levi? It, it takes us helping, helping people get on the Jesus way, helping people find Jesus, helping, helping people uh, feel their way towards God, like how can I find him? And we're, we're fulfilling, we're being like Jesus and we're being like Levi. When we help them, we're, we're priests helping them find their way to God. 
You know, in, in verse 22, which is a little bit past the section that we first read, we're actually mentioned there. Here's what it says. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered. And by the way, in some translations, it might say as the, ho- excuse me, the stars of the sky cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured. So I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priest who minister to me. So God is saying in this, the number of priests that I have will be as many as the stars of the sky or the sands of the sea. You know who he's talking about, don't you? He's talking about you and me. This is what this is saying. Fulfilled in Jesus and then fulfilled in us. We are the stars of the sky. And we are the sands of the sea. That's who we are. And we're fulfilling. We're helping people find their way to God. And it's really important that that when we we hear from Jesus and we receive Jesus that we not be ones who think it's just about us, that it's just for us because it's not just for us. Sometimes I, I think we're guilty of, of saying, well, you know, I'm following Jesus and all is well with me and I'm, yeah, I'm Danny, I'm fully devoted, I'm doing that. And, and we forget that it's not for us, a part of our role. Yes, we're supposed to be like David and be fully committed, but we're supposed to be like Levi, helping other people find their way to God. When, when, we're, when it's all about us, we become hoarders. Like, I'm going to keep it to me. You know, hoarding's not very pretty. You know what hoarding looks like? It looks like this. I can't even look at that picture. It nauseates me. It does. I'm like, ugh, I don't like the way that looks. And can I tell you? Sometimes I think or wonder, and God looks at me, does it look like that to him? that I'm just like I'm taking it all in for me and I'm not saying, yeah, I want to be like David, but I want to be like Levi too. You know, we are the object of God's grace and His mercy and His, his desire to love and to care for us. So he, he, he focuses on us and wants us to do that, but we're not only the object of, him, of His work. We are also the instruments for His work. You hear that? the object of his work, and the instrument of his work. And we are both, not just the object. When I first became a granddad, this came to real clear um, vision to me. Like, Like, it made sense to me so much because I'd raised my boys. They were the object of all of our work, that we would raise boys who follow Jesus. Like, all of my effort, I want to raise boys to be men who follow Jesus. But now I got grandkids. They're not the object of my work anymore. You know what they are now? They're the instruments of my work because the objects are a generation beyond them. It's my grandchildren. And so it's okay for them to be the object, but they can't be just the object of my work. They have to be instruments for my work. And that's where we are with God. Yes, we, He is pursuing, He is using, He is helping and loving us, but it's not just for us. It's not so we can hoard. Jesus said, go make disciples. He didn't say just go be disciples. There's a making that happens. So how do we become this blessing? You know, David spoke about it last week that, 
even in the midst of weird trials and difficulty and all the things that are going on in our culture and our world. And by the way, from the time of Jeremiah and before that, all the way to today, it's always been going crazy. There's never been a time that, oh man, this is the life, this is awesome. There's always been difficulty. Now, the last two years have been kind of highly unusual. But in the midst of all of that, David talked about it last week, our call is still the same. Be a blessing. Bless the people where you live. Bless the people where you are. How do we do that? Jesus talked about it in Matthew 20, 28. He said himself, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. How does he do it? By serving and giving. How do we be like Levi? By serving and giving. That's how we do it. And when we do that, when, when we serve and we give and we find opportunities to be a blessing right where we live in the midst of chaos, it doesn't matter. We still serve and we still give. This beautiful jar becomes useful too. It's not just beautiful. It's useful as well. And so the question is, are we a blessing? Are we being a blessing in the community where we live? Are we useful? I imagine, what would it be like, not just in our church, but around the world, if Christians everywhere said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to serve and give more than anything else. What we want to be known as is a people who serve and give. What if, what if all Christians around the world began to run towards the marginalized and the victimized and the hurting and the helpless? What if we gave everything we could to, to help other people? What would it look like? What, how would that change how people perceive Jesus and God? If that's all we did was help people, I think it would be beautiful and useful. And do you know, I've, I've seen you do it in so many ways. Ten years ago, 2011, on a day that none of us really planned or expected, we had a guest speaker and he invited us to do something to help the homeless in our community. And we weren't really sure, like, are the people going to respond to this? Man, did you ever. Did you know on that day and over the next year, you pledged that day and over the next 12 months after that, you gave over $5 million to help the homeless people in our, in our community. And 10 years later, if I'm in any meeting that has community leaders in it, anywhere in our city, they'll go, oh, you're from First Baptist Orlando, aren't you? That's that church that gave all that money to help homeless people. That's that church that loves Orlando. I love that church. You guys are an incredible people. 10 years later, 
because you're beautiful and you're useful. We have a ministry here called His Kids. It helps children find forever families. And we're one of those families through a grandchild that you helped us help. Could have never done it without you. But you did it. Because you're beautiful and you're useful. You're like David. You're like Levi. You serve and you give. You're so beautiful. Last Sunday, I was down here, I think it was the 1130 service, and um, some friends came up. I hadn't seen them in a while, talked to them in a while, and John and Courtney, their name. And they had two kids with them, two boys, and I walked over, hey, how you doing? And John said, well, we're doing great. I just had to come tell you, Danny. I just had to come tell you. Today, this was last Sunday, we're celebrating six years of marriage. And I just wanted to tell you because I remember the day that I came to faith sitting in this room. Somebody invited me and I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I gave my life to him. And everything about me changed. And I married a pastor's granddaughter, not our pastor, but another pastor's granddaughter, Courtney. I know Courtney. We have two kids, Boaz and Ezra. I don't think he'd heard those names before he met Jesus. I told you everything had changed. And I thought to myself, you're so beautiful. Providing environments like this where John can hear about Jesus. And now Boaz and Ezra can be in kids' spaces over there and they're learning about Jesus in an age-appropriate way so that one day that legacy that we built into John is now going to be passed on to them. And one day, not me, but the, the guy who follows me is going to be standing down here and Boaz or Ezra are going to come talk to them and say, let me tell you a story about John and Courtney and how God has changed them. You're so beautiful. And you're so useful. A few years ago, there was a guy in our church. He's still here. His name is Sean. And Sean came up to me one Sunday after church, and he had a little Bible with him. And he said, hey, I work for OPD, and I'm... I'm in charge of their uh, training for the new recruits. The last part of their training happens with us. And, and when I was a young officer, at the end of our training, the police department used to give us a Bible. And he handed me that Bible, showed it to me. And he said, this is the Bible I got when I was a new recruit for the Atlanta Police Department. He said, now I'm the guy leading the training, and we don't have any Bibles to give because there's been a budget cut. And he asked me a question. You think First Baptist Orlando would be willing to give Bibles away to the police officers as a part of that? I said, yeah. 
They're beautiful and useful people. That's what they do. And so about five years ago, about five or six times a year, maybe more than that, it seems like it's every couple of months, we go down to the training facility and Pastor David goes almost every time. Sometimes I'm able to accompany him as well. This past Wednesday or Thursday, we were there. I think I got a picture of it. This is David. He's reading Psalm 91. And he invites the officers, before I read this over you, if you want to just bow your head and pray or whatever, if you don't, it's okay too. But if you want to, we want to let this be a symbolic prayer over you from the people of First Baptist Orlando. And then we want to give you a Bible. It's got your name on it. And, and there's a little coin that has the spiritual armor on it. And it says, the people of First Baptist Orlando are praying for you. And we give each of those officers a coin. And this week, we had the joy of doing that with those officers. And the next morning, I came into my office. And I had a, actually got texted after I was in the office from one of our members, one of you. His name is Brad. Brad said, hey, Danny, I hope you're doing great. I want to share something with you. I'm leaving my men's group here at First Baptist this morning, and I had a young officer from OPD sit at my table today. He tells me his name. We got into the discussion about how you guys go down and meet with the new officers and pray with them and give them a Bible. At the end of the meeting this morning, he shared with me that he had not been in church for a long period of time, but because our church did that, it prompted him to get back to church on a regular basis. And he shared with me, he shared with me, he hopes you all never stop doing that. Well, unless the city or the police department tells us, we can't. We're not stopping doing that. We won't stop. Because you're beautiful. And you're useful. Be like David. And be like Levi. And let's leave a legacy that's worth it. Let's pray. God, we're, I'm so grateful for the legacy I'm a part of. I feel so rich. I'm humbled by it. So many people that have loved me and spoken into me and cared for me and loved me and left a legacy that's worth following. And I know many people in the room feel the same way about them. And at the same time, God, we want to be faithful stewards of this gift that you have given to us. And we would ask that you would help us to be that. Help us to be like David. Help us to be like Levi. And leave a legacy that matters for the people around us and the people who follow us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.